So today as we continue in the book of Romans, we're in Romans chapter 8. And I want to ask you a question as we begin here. How are you feeling? How are you feeling this morning? What is going on in your soul? For each of us, this time of crisis has brought different challenges and maybe blessings. For some who long for connection, this is hard to be at a distance, and I wish that this room was full versus just a few people. For those who don't really like social gatherings, maybe this is a time of blessing and respite. But all of us are having something feeling within us and something going on inside. So I ask you, how are you feeling this morning? And however you're feeling, I want to encourage you that God wants to meet with you and you're loved in the struggle. As the Jack family reminded us this morning as they read Romans 8, 31 to 39, let me remind you, you are loved in the struggle. And in verse 31, we read that God is for you. He's not against you. God is for you. He wants the best for your life. He is your number one cheerleader and champion. Also, we must recognize that even though God is for us, this does not mean that everything in our life God is good with or cool with. There's things that we do and say that dishonor him that he is not okay with. But what this does mean is that his overarching plan for our life is that he is for you and wants the best for you and desires to lead and guide your life. God is for you. In verse 32, we see that God is generous to you. Ask yourself, do you function out of a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset? Do you constantly feel like you never have enough or that there's more that you potentially have? Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine at a wedding, after he turned this water into wine, the people said, you saved the best for last. That even though they ran out of wine, God gave them more and even better than they could imagine. Now when you look at some of his miracles of feeding large crowds with a little bit of food, there was always leftovers. There was more than was needed to even feed these crowds. I've looked at my own life, and over the last probably almost 20 years, the first payment check I write when I get paid is a tithe of 10% to the local church. There have been times where that's been a lot harder to write or submit than others. And maybe one of those times right now is for you. But I've seen God in my own life do exceedingly more than I could ask or imagine, even in the midst of struggle. Do we believe that God is a, a God of abundance or scarcity? And what we see here is God is a generous God to all of us. We then read in verse 33 that God is not accusing you. All of us know that there are things we have thought, said, and done wrong. That there are accusations that have been made that are either true or false about us. We think about our relationship with God, and there's things that I know that I do that dishonor God. That he could point an accusing finger at my life and say, these are issues with you. But here we see God is not the one bringing accusation. He is the one who gives right standing in front of him. A declaration of not guilty. He is the one that says you are justified 
before me. If you're anything like me, you remember the wrong you've done. You remember the stupid things you've said, done in front of other people. And there's also people in your life that probably will remind you of those things that you have done. But for God, when he forgives us, he removes the guilt, the sin, the shame. He no longer holds it over our heads. It's gone. It is finished. The voice of accusation is not the voice of God. God is not accusing you. Then in verse 34, the language gets even stronger, stating God is not condemning you. Condemnation is a, is a sentence of guilty. And God is not condemning you. Growing up, I had more than one encounter with my local police. I had so many encounters with my local police that we became first name friends. When I would get stopped, they wouldn't have to check my ID. They'd say, how are you doing, Mark? And more than once I had to go before a judge. And I remember on one occasion, I was guilty, but the judge showed lenience and I didn't have to be charged with what I had done. It's the same thing with God. We go before God and he says, you are guilty as charged. We know we have done wrong, but he proclaims that we are not guilty because what, of Je because what Jesus Christ has done for us. And in this section of scripture around verse 33, we also read in, in verse 34 that Jesus is in the presence of God with the ear of God pleading on your behalf. He is seated at the right hand of God Almighty. The right hand is the hand of mercy, the hand of grace, not the hand of justice. And Jesus is at the right hand saying, God, show mercy on my sons and daughters who need your mercy. It's interesting because last week, if you listened to my message, I talked about how all of creation is groaning, how people are groaning, and how even the Holy Spirit who is given to us on the day of salvation is groaning within us and praying for us according to the will of God. Now today we see that Jesus is pleading in God's presence to God the Father. So here we see a little Trinitarian theology. The Holy Spirit groaning and praying with us, connected with Jesus the Son in the presence of God, who has the ear of the Father in the midst of everything that we are struggling with. Do you see this amazing picture? That God's ear is tuned into your struggles. And no matter what you're do, going through, what you're facing, the Holy Spirit is interceding. Jesus the Son is interceding. And the Father is hearing what you need. And he is not accusing you. He's not condemning you, but saying, I am there to proclaim you not guilty and to meet with you in the midst of struggle. I don't know what type of father you had growing up. But for me, I had a very present father, and I'm very grateful for that. But here we see our Heavenly Father, who's interceding on our behalf. And we asked Joelle Little to give a little testimony of what the song, Good, Good Father, means to her. And then we're going to sing the song. Good morning. I'm Joelle Little. Oh, that was me. I... That was me again. Good morning. I'm Joella Little, and I want to talk to you about the song we're going to sing, Good, Good Father. 
My personal history with this song goes back to 2015 when I first started singing it. And at that time, my husband Eric was suffering from a bad back injury. And um, it was a difficult time for both of us for many reasons. And to be honest, it was a little hard to sing that song during that time. Um, but God used it to speak to me. And recently, I've had a similar experience with this song. At the end of February, we took in a two-month-old foster baby, and she had experienced some things before she came to us and um, was struggling with some issues. And the first few weeks that she was here were especially difficult for us. Um, and I would often play worship music in her bedroom to try to calm her down. And it just so happens that Good Good Father would play quite frequently on the Amazon worship station. Um, but one evening was particularly difficult and I just had to leave and sequester myself in another room and Eric went in to be with her. And I remember saying the same thing that I said in 2015. I said, God, how can you be a good father and simultaneously watch your child suffering so much pain when just a word from you could heal her and she would not be dealing with this anymore. And I really felt impressed on my heart that I needed to hold on to that truth that God is a good father even when my circumstances were trying to tell me something different. And so I sang the song to myself in that room by myself and um, just really grasped that, that God is a good father. And eventually she settled down and she stopped crying and went to sleep and I actually couldn't believe that she had stopped crying and that she had fallen asleep. And the next day was better for her comparatively. Um, and I remember holding her in my arms and rocking her and worshiping and singing Good Good Father with all my heart because it was a little easier to sing it at that point. And that's not to say that everything has been better since then. Um, she still has ups and downs. She still has some issues she's dealing with. Still has some bad days. But I think that was a turning point and God has just been speaking to me that um, I need to believe that even when my external circumstances want to tell me one thing, um, I need to believe that God is a good father. And it tells us over and over in scripture that he is good. And you know, kids don't always understand that their parents are doing something good for them. And we don't always understand um, why God does things a certain way. Um, and he doesn't always do things the way we expect. Um, so I don't know if you're dealing with anything like that during this pandemic, if there's anything in your life that makes it difficult to say and to believe that he is a good father. But I encourage you as we sing this song um, to speak it to your heart and to really grab onto that belief that no matter what the circumstances say, God is a good father.
Thank you, guys. God is for you. God is generous to you. God is not accusing you. God is not condemning you. 
He is a good, good father. Sometimes I think it's hard for us to even wrap our heads around how good of a father God really is. Now we are going to continue on reading from verses 35 to 39. And it states, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. The aching in all of our souls is to know that you are loved no matter what. And Paul digs into the no matter what here. He just doesn't say you are loved. He says, here is the no matter what. And let me define these words with some help from the Logos Bible software. You are loved in the trouble. You are loved in the physical, mental, social, and economic adversity. You are loved in calamity, in distress of an express, especially oppressive and constricting nature. You are still loved. You are loved in persecution. The systematic hunting down of a particular religion to inflict pain or death in the hopes of getting someone to renounce their beliefs. All around us, Christians are still being persecuted in this present world. Maybe you haven't faced persecution, but in the midst of that, Paul says, you are still loved. You are loved in the hunger. And hunger here means a severe shortage of food resulting in violent hunger, starvation, and even death. You are loved in the destitution, having no clothing, being naked. I highly doubt any of you, if you're watching on some kind of screen, have no clothing. If you're able to afford some kind of screen. You are loved in the danger when you're susceptible to harm and injury, and you are loved when threatened with death, and at that time, this was specifically being killed by a sword. You are loved. You are loved in trouble, calamity, persecution, hunger, destitution, danger, and threats of death. You are loved. And some of us, if you're anything like me, have not faced a lot of what Paul's talking about here. And it can be easy to get into a comparison and think, well, I don't have it as bad, so I should experience God's love. And I don't think that that's what this passage is about. It is not meant to minimize your struggles. Whatever you're struggling with is real, and you are loved in the midst of that. But what I believe this is meant to do is maximize the love of God. To show you how great it is that no matter what you face in the midst of whatever size struggle, you are loved. Now, reading on to verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. You have overwhelming victory in Jesus. And this begs the question, how can you have overwhelming victory in this verse if you are struggling with all the things in the last verses we just read? If you are in danger of being killed, if you are naked, if you have no food, if you are overwhelmed by struggle, how can you have overwhelming victory at the same time? The only possible way I can see is if we recognize the love of God and that this life is temporary. Most of us, 
focus on the kingdom here and now that we're trying to build for ourselves. It's easy to. It surrounds us every day. And if all we're doing is building a kingdom here for ourselves, when we lose our job, or if we lose our health, our finances, food, a house, social status, or even our security, if all we have is a kingdom here, it will feel like we're losing everything. But if we're holding on to God, the Father who loves us through it all with an unconditional love, and we're holding on to God who has prepared an eternal kingdom for us beyond this world, even in the midst of total devastation and loss on this side of eternity, we can still have overwhelming victory in Jesus. You have overwhelming victory in Jesus. Finally, we wrap up this passage in verse 38 and 39, where Paul writes, And I am convinced that nothing ever can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. If you're watching online, why don't you hit a harder like? Because that passage there is a powerful passage. And what it says is, you are loved in the struggle. In death, you are loved. In life, you are loved. When there is spiritual victory, you are loved. Or spiritual oppression, you are loved. When you're facing overwhelming odds against you today, you are loved. When the future is unsure and unsettled, you are loved. And when evil conjures the most wicked stuff against you possible, you are still loved. When politicians and rulers are for you or against you, you are still loved. And there's nothing in all of the cosmos, nothing in the depth of the sea, the heights of the mountains, the far reaches of all the galaxies that ever can separate you from the love of God as revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. You are loved in the struggle. You are loved no matter what you are facing. My dad was a great dad growing up. And in this last year, he went to be with the Lord all of a sudden. And I remember my dad saying this statement to me many times growing up, and I deserved it. And he said to me, sometimes you talk so stupid, Mark. And I did talk stupid often, and I did many stupid things. And whether or not you want your kids saying that word, you can edit this out. But that's what my dad said to me many times. But more than that, he said to me, Mark, I love you. You are loved no matter what, even in the midst of stupidity. I have voicemails saved from my dad on my phone. And in every single one of those voicemails, he tells me, Mark, I love you. And in the passage we look at today, it's God saying again and again and again to you, no matter what you're facing, whether or not you're making brilliant choices or stupid choices, you are loved. But here's the challenge. Do you believe that you are loved no matter what? 
Now, when I say, do you believe it? I'm not saying, do you understand the scripture we read or what I'm talking about today? What I'm saying is, did the penny drop from your head to your heart? Have you allowed those words to sink in and take root in your life? That no matter what you're facing, you recognize that you are loved. Because when you recognize you are loved, no matter what, it creates security in our lives. And when we are secure in who God has created us to be and secure in his love, we're able to step out, not in fear, not overwhelmed, but trusting that God loves us and has a good, good plan for our lives. You are loved. I would encourage you today, if you have never said yes to Jesus, that today you would invite the good, good Father to come in and take control of your life and that you would experience that love. If you know Christ, I would encourage you to simply take a step of faith again and say, God, I invite you into wherever I don't feel or experience or believe your love, and I want that for all of me. And if you make that movement with God today, I'd encourage you to simply on our website, neighborhoodc.org, under connect with us, indicate the decision you made so we can follow up with you. You are loved. You are loved in the good and you are loved in the struggle. You are loved. Let's pray. God, you are a good father who loves us in the midst of whatever we're facing. God, if we are in a good place this morning, may we experience your love. If our lives are falling apart, may we experience your love. If we are in turmoil in relationships or at work or in financial situations or health crisis, God, may we experience and know we are loved today. And may that overwhelm our lives more than anything. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that today that they would recognize they are loved in the struggle. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.